about Knoxville. I love Knoxville. Talking about 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 Knoxville. I love Knoxville. That was our attempt at a round. No, we succeeded. That was great. That was a round. That was great. That was probably the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I liked how we in Knoxville came in, hopefully at the same time, on each round. <laughs> you ever thought of, like, how shitty... Like, I, I, there was this kid that... I, I, I used to be a Boy Scout, right? Mm-hmm. And he had this artistic talent where he could sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat in a round by himself. And I just thought... I, I heard him do it. I don't know. I've tried. It makes no sense. It, I don't know how it's possible, but I just thought it's like, what a strange and useless talent. Like, unless he is at a Boy Scout campfire function. Should have yodeled. Yeah. Daddy. <laughs> well, welcome to Knoxon on Knoxville's Door, a podcast where two Knoxville boys talk about all things Knoxville and East Tennessee and share a few laughs. My name is Trey Townsend. And I am Grant Howard, and we are coming to you live from the tip-top of the Sun Sphere. We can be our normal volume today, because uh, we actually stayed the night, and we came in right when Primo was shutting down, able to ride the elevator up, and we just stayed the night. We were in a groove, we've been podcasting all night, and here we are. We were figured we would, we would podcast for eight hours and just record the ninth hour. Yeah, we're getting a little tired. You know, I'm, I was trying to do the math, it's probably eight hours, it's probably going to cost us... 30 40 grand but you know it's worth it it's worth it for the investment it's really a good deal for where we are and you know it's like once we pick up a few interns they they that start that cash flow starts rolling in right you know pick up um and how we'll do it is like you pay ten thousand dollars and then you get three of your friends to pay ten thousand dollars and then they get three of their friends to pay any good business scheme yeah that's how it starts it's layered it's multi-layered marketing we were thinking about you know where are we going to record? We can't do this, you know, in just some old Joe Schmo recording studio. We can't do this in our house. We can't do this in a living room. Yeah. We have to do... This is... If we're going to be a successful Knoxville-themed podcast, we have to do it in the most Knoxville-themed place there is. And we said, that, that has got to be, to be the Sun Sphere, baby. Yes, sir. That's right. Sun Sphere, baby. And it's working great so far. It's been great. I mean, we're down, we're down fifty grand. We're fifty grand in the hole. Forty-five grand is debt. But yep. once this comes out, sponsors are going to start flowing in. Yep. We're going to make our money back in like tenfold. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping to make the initial investment back on opening weekend. Which we don't know when that will be. I do have um, a little bit of a surprise for you, Grant. You got a you surprise don't know for this. me? Too. I don't know. Uh, on the first episode, I really did sign us up for twenty thousand dollar loan <laughs> in both of our names. <laughs> uh, on the first episode, we talked about um, wanting to get um, a email set up for the show. Okay, I have. We officially had the email tip of the sun sphere. Tip of the sun sphere at gmail dot com. So you can send in any feedback. Um, questions, ideas, topics, topics into tipofthesunsphere at gmail.com. Yes, sir. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a now renowned 
Knoxville artist, Buford Delaney. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have Sylvia Peters on, um, who just competed in Knoxville's Dancing with the Stars. This is entirely news to me. She's, I did not realize yeah. that. <laughs> so she's awesome. a Knoxville star. Um, she's 80 years old, competed, and was great. I she's yeah. wonderful. Sylvia Peters she is got, I, She told me she got... Um, I think an eight and two nines out of ten. Really? <laughs> did, did Jan dance with her? No, she had like a dancing, like an actual dancer. Yeah. You know, they wow. put in with like professionals. That's awesome. Um, she's a retired educator, um, art collector, philanthropist, just all around. Fantastic human being. Yeah. Sylvia is wonderful. And she's very passionate about Buford Delaney and has been involved in various projects. Um, so we're going to, if you're not, if you don't know about Buford Delaney, we're gonna. It's really incredible life story and his work um, is becoming very more and more important in the art world and in East Tennessee. So stick around for that. Um, I think before we jump in, though, I think we're gonna knock out an episode of Finishing Kenny. How oh, does that Finishing sound? Finishing Kenny. I'm so excited. To you. Um, I feel the. I feel the more of these we do, the closer I come to that uh, that familial Knoxvillean bond that I have with Kenny Chesney. Right. So this is our segment. Uh, Finishing Kenny. Here we go. Finishing Kenny. I have lyrics of plenty. I am finishing Kenny. This is Finishing Kenny. That's a dobro slide. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. This is a segment where um, I give a lyric from a Kenny Chesney song to Mr. Young Boy Grant Howard. Young man, thank you. And to see if he can fill in uh, the last lyric. So I give him some of the lyrics, then you try to finish it. Yes. It, because as an East Tennessean, I just this is just me talking. This is my belief. I think that you should be familiar with all the great East Kenny Chesney's entire discography. Artists. Oh, okay. Just just Kenny Chesney in particular. Kenny Chesney, and then know all of of course. Peyton Manning's career stats yes. and career highlights. Mm-hmm. Um, so this today's today's challenge for you, Mister mm-hmm. Young Boy Grant Howard. Young Boy, depressed little sad boy Grant. It's Howard. a lyric from the 2005 song from the album "The Road and the Radio." The Road and the Radio, two things that are just very nostalgic in my life. <laughs> The from the hit single "Living" and "Fast Forward." Are you familiar? I am not. A shame. So this is a. Uh, we'll just get yep, into the it. song that go. goes. Living in fast forward. It's actually kind of close. Oh, awesome! Oh, well, yeah, maybe I do know it. This is from the verse. So here we go. Well, you'll have to fill in the the end. Okay. The body's a temple. That's what we're told. I've trade. <laughs> Excuse me. I've treated this one like an old honky tonk, greasy cheeseburgers and cheap blank, and cheap tattoos in Chinese words. Cheap tattoos. So, the body's a temple. That's what we're told. I've treated this one like an old honky tonk, greasy cheeseburgers and cheap tattoos of Chinese words. Tattoos of Chinese words. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Let's try to sing it and see if that helps. Right. See if that sounds right. All right. The I don't body's know. <laughs> a temple, that's what we're told. I treated this one like an old honky tonk. 
greasy cheeseburgers and cheap Chinese tattoos. tattoos. Wait, that's not right. <laughs> tattoos. <Cheap> of Chinese words. <laughs> greasy cheeseburgers and cheap tattoos of Chinese words. It's pretty good. Sounds very country, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to um, unveil the lyric and see if you're right. How do you feel about this one? I feel really good about this one. That's how I would write the song. And here we go. Oh, man. You were close. Was that really? Cigarettes. Oh, Chinese <laughs> t- cheap tattoos of Chinese words and cigarettes. So it's greasy cheeseburgers and cheap cigarettes. Is it really cheap cigarettes? Yeah, it really is. It's cheap cigarettes. Yeah. Wow. I've treated this one like an old honky-tonk. Greasy cheeseburgers and cheap cigarettes. Well, I got cheap, right? Do we think Kenny Chesney actually ever smoked cigarettes? No. I don't. He's a man that saw a Marlboro Man commercial when he was a kid, and he's like, that's what a man's like. Although my uh, former stepdad kind of looked like Kenny Chesney, and he smoked like two packs a day. Oh, well, you know. That might just come with being a shitty stepdad. <laughs> For a long time, we were like in a drive-thru at like a Dairy Queen in Kentucky. Oh, that's where no. he was from. And then they were, and the guy at the drive-thru was like, everybody look, he looks like Kenny Chick. Because he wore a cowboy hat. Oh, and he was like bald. So like what, it's like the the require, the requisite appearance to look like Kenny Chesney is to be bald and have a cowboy hat? Yeah, basically. Uh-huh. You're halfway there. Kind of like leathery skin. Yeah. I mean, all bald guys, all bald guys look the same. So <laughs> I think he had blue eyes too. Oh. Um, yeah. So that's been Finishing Kenny. Thanks, Grant, for playing. No problem. Finishing Kenny, I have lyrics of plenty. I am Finishing Kenny. There's something I want to talk about on today's podcast. It's been, you know, kind of a point of contention between us. And our friendship. And I haven't wanted to bring it up, but I feel kind of safer with the mics on recording because mm. you can't do so anything. the accountability so yeah. i can't attack you because you yeah. have a weapon yeah well and also it's recorded oh so if i do assault you it's recorded it feels like someone else is here like to well that would mediate. be our first intern that's beneath the floor and would hear the scuffle yeah um well maybe we'll we'll go down afterwards and like talk to her her name's marion marion um she's 14 She's a 14-year-old who got $10,000. She paid us $10,000 to be an intern. She saw the the potential in this investment, and she's going to get three more of her friends. Mm -hmm. And And then they're going to get three more friends, and we're going to have how many interns? Ten interns. Yes, we're going to have ten interns. And we'll stack them up. We'll stack them up. Like a pyramid. Like a pyramid. No, but the point of contention, I want to talk about, because we haven't really talked about it, like face to face, I don't, not really in depth, but had a lot of heated phone conversations about this. Our difference in how we've handled our student loans, yes, from the University of Tennessee. Now, Trey, how do you handle yours? Well, first of all, let's see how much student loan debt did you have? Okay, so I came out very fortunate mm-hmm. because my parents are poor as shit, and uh, I was able to make it through my entire. I guess ten year at UT without having to take any student loans. Until Your my entire last. ten years at UT. My entire tenure, tenure, not ten, ten years. years. No, ten year. Ten entire ten year. Okay, uh, divide that by two, and you're right. I was at. I had five years of schooling. Um, I only had to take student loans for two years, so that was fortunate. I had funding up until then, but 
It's just so dumb. Do you want to say how much it was? Yeah, I, I graduated with $11,000 in student oh, loan debt. Not yeah, it's not bad. That's what everyone says. Like, oh, you know, it's like a nice car, but I didn't own a car. Because I think I have twenty. Five, which is also not bad. I know a lot of people that graduated with like 60 or 70, mm-hmm. which is insane. And how much of your student loan debt have you paid? I paid over $7,000 of it already. And how? And that's in like three years? <laughs> it's been really hard, but yes. <laughs> I don't have an excess of money either. I'm scraping by to do this. I'll let you ask me how much I have paid. Trey, how much have you fucked up? I don't know what you mean. Uh, how much? How much do you have? How much do I have? How much do you have? What's your? What's the number? I have paid zero dollars of twenty five thousand dollars on my student loans. <laughs> do you know what interest? Has it accrued any interest? I I I think so. <laughs> but for me, it's you know they don't make. It's all through the all my your loans and my loans yeah. are through the government. Yeah, I had right? all subsidized loans to the government. Um. They, I think mainly because of um, Obama-era laws and mm-hmm. regulations, they don't make you pay on the loans if you don't have the income. To That's correct. You can defer income. your payment, yeah. So you Also, just, if you go back to school, you would defer your payment as well. Yeah, so they, you send them like your taxes or how much money, and they're like, well, you have to pay this much or not. And every year they're like, you don't have to pay anything. Wait a straight line, barely above property line, bud. So I'm like, great. Because and it's also a moral thing because I don't I don't believe that I should have to pay. <laughs> You're like one of those guys where it's like, you don't have to pay your taxes, you know. It's voluntary. You don't have to no, pay. No, taxes. taxes is different. This is just like well, I mean, I, I agree with you. It's just that, like, you know, I grew up and my parents were both in debt when I was growing up. So I have this tremendous fear of having debt looming over my head. But it's not like I'm not paying back stuff. I'm yeah. just deferring it. And yeah. I think there's a chance that... So once once the interns start bringing in, we'll just cash in, like, our cool yeah, first 500000 You know, maybe I'll use a couple hundred bucks. We'll buy the, entire of the, sun sphere, the entirety of the sun sphere. Wait, do we have to put the... Ten thousand dollars in our tax. Do we have to pay taxes? On? Oh no, I got a shell corporation set up. It's fine. Okay, it's so fine. we'll just send it to. I made this scam nonprofit that I said that we needed the ten thousand dollars to found. It's all tax deductible. Oh yeah. Oh, you're talking about the one and in the. It's like it's like based on an island in the Tennessee River, so it's yeah. totally legal. Yeah. Because you know, you know how they say like water. yeah, it's they have your water, right? you have your money in the yeah. in the islands. Okay, so we're good. We're good. So the ten, we can just use it on whatever. We're good cool okay um yeah so i feel like and i also feel like there's a chance like in the next like decade or so that the way like you know the politics are going that if the right people get in power that student loan debt could be totally erased i think that's wishful thinking trey (laughs) yeah i mean it wouldn't be the government would have to like pay back somebody, I guess. Yeah. But what's crazy about it is, is just the uh, the overall cost that's gone up for higher education. Like when my parent, both of my parents are college educated, and uh, my dad had a part time job, and he had a mortgage on his house, and he owned a car, and he paid for tuition in all of his books, and he didn't go into any student debt, and he also paid his way through graduate school with a part time job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it kind of makes you wonder what the hell happened. 
I could really go into this in detail about how screwed over like our generation is over stuff <laughs> like over financially. It's like you know particular. what? Let's do this. Let's let's take people when they're at their most vulnerable and we're willing to take chances and try and actually do something with their life, and let's put them in crippling debt. And then expect I, them to buy houses. If somebody would have let me, I would have taken out a $50,000 a year loan yeah. to go to New York University for college. And thank yeah. God, I would have, and like private loans. Private loans. I'd be screwed. Oh, I'd be awful. 10, 14, 10 or 15% in interest. Oh, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, but you've got yours almost paid off. It's responsible. Paid off under a year. Believe it or not, it'll be paid off in under a year. Well. Wow. White privilege. White privilege. That's that working 60 hours a week right there, friends. So uh, I think I expect uh, we're going to bring Sylvia in here to the mm-hmm. tip top of the sun sphere. Um, but uh, we should have, I think we'll have a long, conver- lengthy conversation. I think it's worth it. So I think we maybe should end it here and uh, throw it a break and come back and have Sylvia on. What do you think? I think it's a great idea, Trey. Let's get into it. All right. So uh, we're going to go to break, and then when we come back, we're going to have uh, Sylvia Peters on to talk about Buford Delaney. Uh, we'll be right back with more Knocks in on Knoxville's door. Thank you so much for listening to Knox and on Knoxville's Door. If you guys have any ideas, questions, comments, or concern, or maybe even potential topics, please shoot us an email at tipofthesunsphere at gmail.com. That's T-I-P-O-F-T-H-E-S-U-N-S-P-H-E-R-E at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. I am at Grant D. Howard. And I'm at Trey Elm Townsend. Be sure to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast app to uh, get all the new updates for the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Trey. Thank you, Grant. No, seriously, thank you. No, Trey. Thank you. And thank everyone at home. And thanks to you, Grant, the most. No, Trey. No. Thank, thank you. Bye. Okay, welcome back to Knox and on Knoxville's door. Uh, we're here. Sylvia Peters has been kind enough to join us here in our little booth in the tip of the sun sphere to talk about Buford Delaney. Um, and I can't think of anyone better in Knoxville to talk about Buford Delaney with than Sylvia Peters. Um, I guess I should introduce you. What would um, I said? I think earlier I said you a retired educator, um, art collector, philanthropist. Anything else to add on your resume? Oh, also, you just were in um, Knoxville's Dancing with the Stars, which is uh, such a big deal. We have actual Knoxville star here on the podcast. Oh, my goodness. That's ridiculous. Well, um, I'm going to be 80 years old in September, and I think that's pretty fabulous to be (laughs) doing Dancing with the Stars. For sure. For sure. But it kind of goes along with my... My interest in life in art, in arts and culture, the arts and culture. And um, I think that Knoxville, in the past 25 years, I moved here in 1992 to start the Edison Project with uh, Chris Whittle. And um, I wondered 
if I had um, made a mistake when I moved here because um, the art scene, although it was um, apparent that people were interested in the arts and a new museum had just been built, I was wondering if anything was ever going to really flourish. But David Butler, who is the executive uh, director and just really wonderful person, came to Knoxville about 12 years ago and um, became, started heading the Knoxville Museum of Art. And he gave us focus. I've been on the board there off and on for the past um, 24, 25 years. Well, I was going to say, you've been there at the Knoxville Museum of Art since the beginning, pretty much, right? Really. It, I think it opened in 1992. It might have opened in 1992, and that was the year that I moved to Knoxville. Um, let's see. Something like that. But anyway, um, I, I became a board member probably in 1994, 1995, and I've been on the board off and on all those years, uh, all these years. And David Butler brought shape and form and focus through higher ground. Um, and uh, higher ground is uh, a permanent exhibition and collection of East Tennessee artists. And in the midst of all of this collecting and everything, um, we came upon the name of Buford Delaney. Now, Stephen Wicks the Barbara Bernstein and Bernard Bernstein collector, uh, curator at the museum, has known the Delaney family for the past 23 years. And to his credit, he was the first one here in Knoxville to sound the clarion call that Buford Delaney was more than just a Tennessee artist. Well, uh Let's let's kind of give the listeners a background on Buford Delaney. I think you set it up pretty well. So um, Buford Delaney, and you can chime in anytime, but he he was born in Knoxville in 1901. Correct. Um, I think his father was a pastor. They moved away for a while and then came back uh, later in his childhood. And he lived, um, I guess, where, where Summit Hill is now, lived in that area. Correct. Right? And that was all the area that where a lot of uh, distinguished African Americans lived, and the city came through with urban renewal in the '60s and demolished the right. Ac- went right straight through the heart of the African American community, and um, took away all their businesses and everything like that. So yeah, really, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, and he was taken under the uh, Lloyd Branson, the prominent Knoxville artist kind of it's kind of interesting took uh buford under his wing kind of um and lloyd branson even has though he like, was the confederate sympathizer right yeah and this like young black artist um and then buford ends up moving to boston and then to new york and during the harlem renaissance right and eventually to paris correct and uh and they ended up dying in Paris. I think he came back to Knoxville once in the 60s. Correct. Right? You know a lot about it. Well. Good for you. <laughs> did a little research. The and Wikipedia you've... page is really well written. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Grant was like, I don't know. I was like, well, just go through the Wikipedia page. And I was page. like, wow, this is very thorough. This is like eight pages long. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, Buford Delaney, um, 
in the annals of art history, and as time has come to pass now, is the most distinguished artist from this region, bar none. Perhaps the most distinguished from the South, maybe the best, maybe the best out of America in the 20th century, who, you know, a lot of people would say, no, 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 no. But um, Buford Delaney and his brother, Joseph Delaney, another distinguished American art, started drawing um, in Sunday school. They would draw on the back of old-fashioned Sunday school cards with Bible verses. And um, they were encouraged to draw and to be creative um, uh, uh, people. They, they came from a home that was extremely poor, but very, very nourishing in terms of the arts, literature, music. He, uh, Buford played, uh, plays a ukulele. He had a beautiful baritone voice. But the family was so poor, they rarely had enough to eat. Um, and when his sister died at the age of 18, her body was the size of a 10-year-old because their food was was that lacking. Um, and they, the father was a very religious person, so they um, moved down the road to, um, I forget the name of the town, but just east of here. And there are a lot of people there who know about the Delaney's. And they moved back again to... Um, uh, to Knoxville, and the boys, uh, they were shoeshine people. They did all kinds of menial tasks just to keep the house um, it, with food and nourishment and things of that type. But during all of this time, they drew. They drew things, and there were people in the black community who knew that they were very good artists and who kind of encouraged them. Uh, Joe was one of, one of nature's bad boys. But Buford was a very, very compliant, wonderful human being. Uh, he wanted to excel. He wanted to do the best. And he introduced himself to um, uh, Branson. And um, Branson was a very uh, distinguished-looking uh, kind of dandyish guy who knew a lot about art. And he took Buford and Joe under his wing because he realized that they were so talented. And during this time, the 1919 race riots occurred. Right. And there were race riots all over the country, everywhere. And Knoxville was not without its race riots. And of course, it, the race riots occurred because someone said that someone African-American, African-American male, um, had done something uh, to a, a, a white female that was not acceptable, and the city erupted. Of course, we all know that um, the, the people returning from the First World War uh, who could not get jobs and things, they were really kind of angry and precipitated a lot of this um, kind of race riot business all over the United right. States. This is when the, the second... Clan was uh, the strongest iteration of the Klan mm -hmm. started right after World War One. Right, and in fact, I, um, I studied this in school a little bit. There was a one of the largest ever ever gatherings of Klan members happened at the Tennessee Valley Fair oh in the gosh. early twenties. Wow. Um, well, you know, I'm from Chicago, and my grandfather uh, was a Pullman porter, and 
he there were race riots in Chicago in 1990 who were they were precipitated by the same thing and he lived 20 blocks away from the uh, railroad station in Chicago and he was spirited back to our community where my family lived by um, by white people who were very kind and knew knew him and that was the way that he was able to make it home in 1919. And the Delaney brothers were traumatized by what was happening in Knoxville uh, during those race riots. And Lloyd Branson decided that he had that he had really passed on to these young men everything that he knew about art, and they were that talented. And he decided, and the, the parents and everyone, that they should get out of town. And you know, it took them from 1919 to 1923, I believe, to save enough money to get out of Knoxville. Mm -hmm. But that those race riots so traumatized the family. I think the race riots traumatized everybody that had any sense uh, because they were just so, re it was revulsive what was just happening. So um, finally, the boys were able to leave, and um, Buford went to Boston, and Joe, I believe, went to the Midwest, to Chicago, Ohio, different places like that. And Buford went to Boston and stayed about six or seven years. And in 1929, he made his way to uh, New York City. But it, Buford's always been very interesting. When he, he went to Boston, Somehow or other, he was able to plug right into the integrated um, intelligentsia in Boston. So he had very good friends, very good African-American friends, and very good Caucasian friends. And he was right in the thick of things and went to all the kind of great art schools there, just sort of as a, as a student uh, not really enrolled, but going there to study with some of the best. And um, the woman, Julia Hall Ward, who wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic, he was friends with her and with his her daughter and with all of these great states people. Uh, and he was, he was just there doing his thing. But he also um, was a homosexual and um, he felt that it was really not the best thing for him. And with his religious background, um, it was very confusing to him. But um, as we know, this is something that, that people are born with this inclination. It's nothing that can be raced away. But he was able to make it anyhow. But it's funny, he, all of his Boston paintings and everything were stolen from him the first night that he arrived in New York City. He fell asleep on a bench, didn't have any place to stay, woke up, his shoes were gone, his record player, and all of his paintings. Oh, wow. So we have very little from the Boston period. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, I don't know about you, Grant, but the, the thing that strikes me about when I heard about Buford for the first time um, a year or two ago, maybe, um, I can believe that I'd never heard of Buford Delaney. That's exactly before. what I was just thinking. It's just like this seems like somebody who should we should have a statue yeah, of him in Prime Rib Square. In Prime Rib Square or Market Square, we Prime Rib Square. Prime Rib I Square. love that. Um, oh my goodness! You know, it's it's one of those things that 
this guy should be the hero of Knoxville. I mean, really, when you think about his contribution to the world, not only art, you know. Yeah, I mean, growing up in Knoxville and not hearing about this, and not, I had not even heard of the 1919 race I was race just talking riots. about. I mean, where, where is the monument that could tell us not to repeat this terrible history that happened here? I've never been told about this. When Trey had discovered this a year or two ago, he told me, and I was completely shocked. I'd never heard about it, and I've lived in Knoxville my entire life. Wow. Well, maybe just through being able to discuss with you two young men, we can begin to write some of these things in history because it really really is difficult. I've always said of Trey, Trey and I have been friends for about five or six years, and I enjoy speaking with him because he's one of the real people that I know in Knoxville mm -hmm. who can just, you can just talk to him about a lot of different things. I think that we have different standards by which we judge uh, people who are different from us. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually, that's what Buford wanted to get away from. He wanted to go to a place in Boston and New York where he could just be judged for who he is and not be, uh, be judged just as a, a, a subservient black man who really had no standing. Here's this man of great, great talent. So he went to Boston and then on to New York. Um, and of course, we all know that there's racism up in Boston and New York mm -hmm. too. I'm not trying to say that it's without its own problems and everything, but it, was, it wasn't until he went to Paris when he really flourished as an artist. But um, Branson taught them a lot about the color palette, uh, which is an important consideration in art. And I, I also think that he taught um, Buford um, and his brother a lot about uh, brush strokes, which are, are really kind of important. And they were very good uh, draftspeople. They could draw anything. And I think that when you look at Buford's art now, you think drawing. But Buford, when he went to Paris, became part of, part of the modern art scene. And all of these great artists, um, Picasso, Mondrian, Modigliani, Renoir, post, I mean, pre-impressionist, well, impressionist, and then posted. They were, they were all seeking uh, the interaction of art with light and nature. Uh, there was a thing in the impressionist period of which Lloyd Branson was known as an American impressionist, impressionist deliquescence, which is the, um, the interaction of light on water so that you get these uh, American Impressionists and French Impressionists painting their interpretation of how light at different times of day interacts with water, how it interacts with, uh, with land masses, with people. With You have great pictures, paintings of cathedrals. The cathedral at Rouen is one of Monet's things. And uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral, the, the, the way that the light plays on these big buildings. Well, Buford took it to another, another dimension. Buford uh, went beyond these Impressionists, and that's why his paintings today are bringing astronomical amounts of money. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, the art market in the last 10 years, 10 to 15 years, is, um, has caught up with Buford Delaney. And in 2016, a group of us headed by Stephen Wicks and, 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 and David Butler 
we had the pleasure of going to Paris to, um, to participate in the opening of a Paris exhibition of the works of Buford Delaney owned by Parisians. And I don't know what they expected the night when they heard a group of about 12 had arrived from Knoxville. I think they all expected to see people in coveralls and uh, a piece of uh, straw hanging out of yeah, their lips. No shoes. Yeah. No shoes, yeah, the whole right. business. <laughs> but there we were. I had on my best pearls. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> my mother told me, you always go with your best pearls. <laughs> and there we were. And it was a really impressive evening. And we knew at that moment that it, we were witnessing something great and that we had to do something to bring Buford home. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what we're about, and it's more than just bringing the artworks of Buford to Knoxville. It's about bringing the the wonderful spirit of Buford home to Knoxville. Buford got along with everyone. He was loved by people everywhere. He was like uh, the mayor of Montpensier, uh, the, the the wonderful town where little village in Paris where a lot of well-known artists, neighborhood. And we were so amazed to go to Paris and see um, three markers of places where Buford lived or did things. And it said, Buford Delaney, an American born Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And we were so proud to know that the world was recognizing this uh, African-American artist from, of all places, Knoxville, Tennessee. Well, I think you touched on this, Sylvia, but just like for someone listening who doesn't know anything about Buford Delaney, how would you like, kind of quickly like describe his art? I know he kind of evolved over his lifetime, started out with more landscapes and portraits, right? Very realistic art. When he, when he was painting here, uh, drawing here in Knoxville, the art was very realistic. Um, when he went to Boston, he, he 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 got the business of portraits down pat, and the Knoxville Museum of Art owns some of these works, um, of famous people that he did in Boston, and he did some wonderful portraits of his mother. So he knew how to paint noses and ears and feelings and all this kind of something. And for most of us, we can understand things that we can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he was in New York City, um, he lived in a place on Green Street. Um, and there are lots of things that he did looking out the windows of Green Street and lots of people that he interacted with. It was really interesting when we were in New York, we went to um, a square down in Greenwich Village that's very, very literary, very popular. and. and I, I, it skips my mind. That's what happens when you're 80, uh, going on 80. Uh, but some of the benches there are very uh, different than park benches you see anywhere else. And I often wondered why, when looking at the paintings from uh, New York, why these little fancy, swirly benches were there in this wonderful square in New York. Well, they're still there. And so he was doing things, what we call representational, things that we could relate to, objects and things like that. But 
In picking up on the Impressionist painting, when he went to Paris, there was a lot going on in the art world. I mean, there was uh, Picasso, who I think is the greatest giant of the 20th century. And they were all wondering about light. They were all thinking about what was happening after the great French Impressionist movement. Buford Delaney took it on to something else. He became obsessed with the color yellow. And he has every variation of the color yellow known to mankind. But a lot of us who look at his work think that there are full paintings under those things. There are people, there are whatever. And then he started thinking about, well, uh, it, it ties into our concept of science and whatever. And we always wonder about the other worlds as we move away from our planet, what's out there in space and time. And I think Buford was thinking a lot about other galaxies. And that's what makes his art so extraordinary. And he and Jackson Pollock, who was the New York master of making these fabulous paintings and then covering them up with his swirls and squiggles and everything, they were good friends in New York City. But Jackson Pollock used to get on Buford all the time because he said he would never make any money because he was too concerned with other things like light and all this kind of stuff and that he should just be doing portraits and making money. But when he went to Paris, he went into uh, this business of abstraction. And he is probably one of the best abstract artists ever. You kind of talked about this, Sylvia, about how in your mind you think that Buford is, you know, probably the best and greatest um, artist, American artist in the 20th century. Um, what is it about his art that is so moving and why you think it deserves that praise? Well, I think the suffering that he experienced and as all great artists, black or white, he was not a man that experienced any wealth at all during his lifetime. And um, somehow or other, we've become uh, attuned to the fact that a lot of great art becomes great after the makers are long gone. And I think uh, people, a lot of people understood his art during the Harlem Renaissance when he was in Harlem. But just as a matter of fact in America, um, African-American art has not been accepted in the canon of, of, of art that we value and everything. It's only in the past 20 years that people are beginning to understand that African-Americans, um, there are schools of African-American artists in different ways in the United States that are now becoming great artists. Charles White is one of those artists. Um, fortunately for Knoxville, I think that Stephen Wicks and David Butler, with great courage, the Knoxville Museum has gone from owning about three paintings by Buford Delaney, maybe 10 years ago, maybe four years ago, to now being the largest institution, um, art institution in the world to own more, and we own more artworks by Buford Delaney than any other place in the world. And we have a collection of 47. And that's been 
through the generosity of a lot of people who have just collected money to say, we want to bring our Buford home. Um, and do you know what? It's done something that is really important. It's pulled together um, a lot of African Americans and white people here in Knoxville to uh, work on this effort. And we formed the Delaney Project, which is really good. And it has a lot of benefits for us as citizens of this region because it's making us get to know each other more. And it's, it's really honoring the work of Buford uh, by looking beyond what we know. Um, Knoxville is a very racially isolated community, um, but the work of Buford Delaney is drawing us closer together. So let's talk a little bit about Buford Delaney and what his life and work means to Knoxville um, now and going forward. You know, when people think of Knoxville, they think of UT football, they think of it being primarily, you know, white people, um, Southern culture. Then here we have an artist who was one of the greatest artists of the century, um, who had contemporaries we've all heard of, mm -hmm. like Picasso Pollock, and yeah. Pollock. Um, he hung out with James Baldwin a lot. They were great friends. Um, from who is from Knoxville, and he is. He was born in Knoxville, raised in Knoxville. He was black and a gay man and, you know, ended up spending a lot of his life in um, Paris and New York and Boston. But what do you, um, what do you think his, his work, looking at it now, what does it say about what Knoxville is and how it's been represented? Um, and what it can be moving forward. Um, a lot of these places where artists uh, were born around the world have become uh, centers for study of their work. So one of the things that the Delaney Project is hoping that we will have the center of excellence for the study of Buford Delaney and his contemporaries and Joseph Delaney. Um, and that center of excellence will attract not only some of the best scholars and collectors and practitioners and writers about his work, but can you imagine our Knoxville Museum of Art with 47 of his works? All of a sudden now I have friends who are calling me from Chicago, mm -hmm. Atlanta, I have a person who in California has, owns the rights to a script about his life. They want to make a movie about Buford Delaney. All of these things are happening. It's my thinking that um, Buford Delaney and his contemporaries and Joseph and how we handle things, first of all, it can put Knoxville on the map. And people love to visit museums, and they love to go places. Um, and with all of the things that we've been doing in the past 25 years, 
Um, I think that it's, you know how in the old days they would say all roads lead to Rome. I, I, I think we can do something here in Knoxville where many roads will lead to Knoxville. We're hoping that um, as Buford did in, in Boston and New York and in, and in Paris, beyond his artistic work, that his very person brought people together so that we could see beyond black and white, that we can see into the human condition and how we are also interdependent and dependent upon each other. All right, well, Sylvia, you were kind of talking about how, you know, what's going to be happening to Knoxville and what, like having Buford Delaney and having all this infrastructure built around it and how it's going to affect us economically and how it's going to change our perception around the world. What, do you, what, do you, what are your hopes for people to, who are going to be learning about Delaney this way forward locally and maybe even regionally and in our own country, like the works that are going to be on display here? Well, one of the things that we did in Knoxville last year is we went to Westview Elementary School um, and I, I was just blown away by those children. Um, and so my hopes are that we start talking to children in a very early age about Buford Delaney and his brother Joseph Delaney. And I was just blown away by a little child, very, very, um, very, very interesting child. She looked at me the first day that we were there. Um, I believe you were there, Trey. I think you were there. I went one day, yeah. You did? Yeah. It was the day you were there. Okay. This little white girl, she said to me, hey, Miss Peters, is that the guy that painted on his raincoat? And I said, child, who told you that? And she had it right. Her parents had taken her to the art museum, and one of the Dawsons told her that Buford Delaney had been so poor in Paris that he painted one of his paintings on his raincoat. And that child knew that, but my dream is that we'll go to schools in Knoxville and all over the state of Tennessee and do a curriculum that will tell them and their parents about Buford Delaney and his brother Joseph. And it taught me something, that child taught me something that day. We can make no assumptions about what people know or don't know. It's just that right now our hope is to begin to get a common base of cultural literacy that we all share. And if people want to see Buford's and Joseph Delaney's works in person, they can go to the museum now? They can go to the museum now, especially um, in August. We'll have the opening of Joseph's works. Um, museums are strange places. They own, we have owned a lot of, of Buford's work, but paintings have to go back into storage to rest from having so much light and everything on them. So the Buford's are resting right now. But in beginning in August of the 2018, for three months, most a lot of work of Joseph Delaney will be on, on, on exhibition and we'll be gathering paintings from all over the world. Um, when we do the Buford Delaney work, that will be a, really a look at our own collection 
and some works from around the world too. We hope to fill up the museum for the Buford Delaney thing, but there are times now when, when Stephen will actually get things out for, for people to see. Stephen has been such a drum major for this work. Well, uh, something you mentioned to me like uh, that is different about Buford Delaney's work here is that when you see the people, like uh, when they open the expi- um, exhibition, it's bringing together these kind of two different worlds mm-hmm. of this, you know, in Knoxville, it's the most of the like people that are investing in art, they're upper class, mostly white. And you have, you had a different, people from different backgrounds showing up to see Buford's work. And his, a lot of his work was filled with such positivity, even though he had so many demons. And that kind of like comes out now, so many years after his death. It seems so appropriate too, you know, with the current landscape, with the yeah. way it is in the country. Well, I, you know, I think that Buford Delaney is, um, who is the fellow that cut off his ear, Van Gogh? I think that Buford Delaney is Knoxville's Van Gogh. Um, and, and Van Gogh did a lot with, with his paintings that, that the world has become so enamored of, and, and I love Van Gogh. I think that the same will happen to Buford as we begin discover, to discover more of his work in different places. I find that Buford's work appeals to young people a lot, and it's shaping their platform for thinking about art and culture. And for me, my experiences with young children have been, the kids just get it. They get the humanity of his work. Um, They get the explorations of his work. Um, And it doesn't have to have the representational uh, format that we're so tuned into they get the abstraction of it. Um, And and honestly, I'll tell you, some of the children that are not the ones who come from the moneyed backgrounds or the well-heeled, they are deep appreciators of Buford's work. Well, Sylvia, uh, we could probably talk all day about this, but we thank you so much for partaking in this conversation with this, us. This, this has, has been, been great. amazing. This has been great. I apologize that Grant wore a white t-shirt and flip-flops. <laughs> I love and it. shorts. This is, an, this is an accurate representation of how I actually am. There's I no falseness it. here. There's no abstraction. This is all concrete imagery of what Grant is actually like. Um, did we leave anything out? Uh, I'll be anxious to hear what you said, how you edit things and everything, and I hope it makes sense. Yeah, so we'll uh, we hope people kind of seek out Buford and Joseph's work, and um, are I think it's worth people knowing for sure, especially in this region. Um, but th- thanks again, and this has been Knoxville on Knoxville's door for this episode, and uh, we'll see you next time. Get on out there, guys! Thanks, Grant, and thanks, Trey, for this experience. Oh, thanks so much.